So here is our conversation today. Why should I, at all, consider studying and following the right, so-called right path that God offers me? Why should I do that when it would seem to limit my freedom, when it would seem to take the adventure, the fun, right out of my life? And why should I, why should I concentrate on a right path, on God's even right path, when I understand that really to live is to do it my own way? That in really my enlightened view questions if there even is a right way, if there even is a single best way, that really the ultimate aim is to boldly choose my own path, that the expression, the right expression of my life, the full expression of my life is when really I do it my own way in spite of what others think. So why should I at all consider studying and following a so-called right path of God? Okay, well, let's go there today. When Christy and myself, my family, my parents were there also, were in New York this past Christmas. We went there for a little family vacation. Uh, on our way home, we were staying at a hotel in Manhattan. And we woke up the day of our flight. We got onto the subway, started to go about, I don't know, about 20 minutes or so. And then we finally realized we were going in the wrong direction that to get to LaGuardia, or JFK, to get to JFK, we had to be going in the opposite direction on the subway. Long story short, we got to the, we got to the uh, airport, and as we were checking in, we weren't allowed to check in our bags because we were five minutes late. Now, right before Christmas, with a two-year-old, with a one-year-old at that point, and Caleb, four, is not the best time to try and wait on standby because you, no one is going to get a flight. It took us about 24 hours to eventually get on a flight. Now, what would have been a better plan for us when we got up that morning? It would have been great if someone, any one of us in this family, there were, there were a several adults who could think to do this, would have got out a map and made sure which direction we were supposed to be getting on on that subway. So we didn't have to get to the airport and then sit for 24 hours all through the night with Caleb and Amaya. And so part of me now steps back and asks, um, why is it that so many times in our lives we, we fail to just do that simple, that simple work of pausing long enough to study it where we need to be and then to obey what we've learned? To, go, to follow through with what we've learned. It's like we, um, we value a lot of times in our lives almost driving aimlessly. If you have to get somewhere on the other side of the city, sometimes the, the adventure of it sounds fun, and so we would just kind of get in a car and go and, and make our way there, and we do that in life, too. A lot of people, we, we enter into the young years of our adulthood, uh, and we, we just explore we just explore it, and uh, it's a free adventure. Uh, we put many things to the side that we would call guides because we fear that sometimes these guides might not let us uh, be fully free to explore what this life has to offer. This is directly, 
This is directly against something critical that a church has to offer the world. In Psalm 119.55, we see these words. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instruction. Now, would taking the time to, to, to study and to follow the right way of God be all that bad? Now, something inside of many people, when they hear that, begins screaming out one of the following negative responses. So as I, as I begin to, to say, we need to stop, we need to study the right way of God and to obey it, it's a very strong word, obey, many people have one of the following negative responses begin to cry out. No, this is not a good idea because it will limit my freedom. No, this is not a good idea because it will take the adventure and the fun, the ride of life right out of my life. No, we can't do this. We can't study this right way and simply obey it blindly because how can you be sure that uh, the map in the Bible, the map of Scripture, the map of God's people is in fact the best path? Furthermore, as we mentioned, I'm not sure there is one best path. We as a culture, as a society now, as an enlightened society, we would question absolute truth. We would question if there is such an even one best path to get where our life needs to go. And then again, isn't it that the path that I choose, isn't that what is truly important? Isn't my life most fully expressed by boldly choosing my own path? by boldly being me, by boldly choosing my own expression of life, without concern, without concern for it being the path, without concern for it being a best path. The answers are good to wrestle with. These questions, they're great to wrestle with because they're also right in Scripture. Proverbs 25 says these words, the purpose of the, the purposes of a person's heart are as are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Let's, let's look at that one again. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but a, one who has insight draws them out. These are good questions to push back on if there is one right path, because if, if you notice, these are, these are answers that are coming from certain passions that are in your heart. If any of these responses apply to you, or if they don't, you'll see them in other people, and we need to know what they mean. Then we're actually leaning into scripture, because this proverb reminds us that deep within our heart, Purposes are trying to find themselves, uh, to, to, purposes are trying to, to come out of us at every moment of our life. The call upon us is to draw them out, is to go deep enough into the waters of your own heart. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take each of these purposes, and I'm not going to let us stay surface level. I'm going to go deep into each of those Questions about why we should follow a right path, about why we would even believe that we should 
sometimes set aside our own, our own uh, desire to have a unique path, to follow God's way. When we were at, when we were at Disneyland a couple weeks back for Amaya's birthday, it was the first time that Caleb got to ride the Finding Nemo submarines. It's what used to be the submarine ride back in the day when they had the mermaids. Now there's no mermaids, although there is a joke about the mermaids in the ride. But when you get in the submarine, they, as the submarine begins to move on the track, uh, they give the illusion that you're going really deep into the ocean. Now Caleb, I'm sure, Caleb probably thinks we were several fathoms deep in this water. But really, we, we didn't go down at all. What I don't want us to do, and what I, what I don't want any of you to do in your life, is to be fooled that you're going deep, but really you're staying very shallow. And as we wrestle with the questions, these passions that are in our hearts, we, our temptation might be to, to not dig deep into them, but to have a surface-level understanding of what our heart is telling us and what we want to do in our life. But really, the call for Scripture is we can't stay right there on the surface. We have to drill down uh, deep into those passions. So let's interact with Scripture and go deep into each of these questions. With regard to freedom... Now, the Christian goes about their life, each one of us here that proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ, a Christian goes about their life with the power of God, his very Holy Spirit, allowing you to do and to be more than you could ever dream of on your own. The Holy Spirit um, will take you places, will, will give you experiences, will allow you to be in positions in which right now you never would have imagined you would be in. What we fail to realize is that we have limits as humans, but the Holy Spirit has no limits as God. And so if we are willing to say, uh, I will follow God's path, I believe it's the right path then really what we're saying is, I'm opening myself up to a freedom that I would not have known otherwise. I'm opening myself up to be, to be moved, to be guided to places where I would not have been able to step otherwise. I'm opening myself up to walking up to doors that otherwise would remain closed. But because God is the one that's leading me, those doors will be opened to me. You know, we're living... We're living in a time in which um, the surface-level understanding of freedom is actually limiting us. Imagine if there was an airplane on an island. Let's take Hawaii, Rebecca, to honor you. So there's an, there is an, or, or we could do Guam for Melanie. Either, either way, we'll do, we'll do either one. Either one. There is an airplane that's on an island, okay? And it's hooked up to the fuel tank. There's a hose. It's tethered. It cannot take off. And the airplane looks over to a blue bike. And the bike is sitting there watching the plane. And the plane says to the bike, it is too bad that I can't be like you and have this complete freedom. You see, I'm tethered to this fueling truck. But you, this bike, you can just pedal anywhere you want all over this runway. The bike turns and looks to the plane, saying, yes, but once you are filled with that fuel, you're going to be able to take off, and you'll be able to fly anywhere in this world. 
We're living in a time right now, in a society, in a culture, in which that bike is valued. Having freedom right now is, is seeming more important than pausing to reflect, than pausing to receive the Holy Spirit, than pausing to receive what God's good path is, that will then allow us to, to take off, that will then allow us to be filled with God's very presence, where we might fly freely under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, stop leaving freedom on the table of your life. Stop leaving freedom on the table of your life and reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. And therefore, I obey your instructions. Fuel yourself up with God's way. Because when you limit yourself in that moment to pause and to reflect on God's goodness, on God's good way for your life, on the vision that Jesus has for your life that's described in Scripture. If you want the close-up, read Matthew 5-7. through When you pause to reflect and then obey, you're like that plane that will then be able, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to be taken freely to anywhere. Complete freedom. But if you do not, and you choose the path of the bike to have freedom in this moment and to not let yourself be tethered for that moment to reflect and obey God, you'll have a certain freedom that is surface level, but really it's no freedom at all. You will never leave that isolated island in which you now habitat. With regard to adventure, the fun, the ride, I wonder, if you open up anywhere in the Bible's history... So thousands of years of history of God calling people to follow him, to follow his way, to follow where he's leading. I imagine if we could invite any of them to step right out of the page of that scripture and to take a seat, and if, and if I could interview them, for, in, for instance, let's take one of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus calls each of you who are Christians his disciple. So let's take one of those 12 disciples, and we can take Peter, one of the most iconic disciples, followers of Jesus in Scripture. If we take him, uh, well, he's obviously already with the presence of Jesus, so let's say we we said, hey, Jesus, can uh, you send Peter down here from heaven so we can interview him? Jesus is like, great, you're doing a sermon on me, I can do that. So it sends Peter down. Peter's sitting here with us, and I can interview him. And if I were to ask Peter, so could you please describe how your life changed from the time before you met Jesus to the time after you started following Jesus. What was that like? This is some of the things that he would tell us from his personal experience. Well, uh, when I first met Jesus, I was doing my daily job. I was a fisherman, you see, and we were out in the boats and we had our nets uh, and we saw this guy, he was a teacher, we came back in, we were mending our nets, we were, every, everybody knew this guy was there, but we didn't really know who he was, and he came up, and out of the blue, he said, follow me. And I can't tell you why, but something inside of me knew I had to listen to him. And I got right up, and I can't tell you why I did this, I got right up, and I left my, my net, I left my business, I left my work. It was, I can't tell you why I did it. I still think it's crazy. But I got up and I, and I left. 
And the best way to describe my time with Jesus for the next three years while he was on earth before they, before they killed him was that it was one adventure after another. It was one crazy experience after another. For instance, there is this one time, there is this one time when Jesus was talking to about 5,000 people. That's, that's just the men. That's not including the women and the children that were there. And it was time to have, uh, to have a meal. People were getting hungry. And so one of, one of the guys that I was with said, maybe we should let everybody go home. But Jesus told us that we're supposed to feed them. Again, I'm not sure what Jesus was thinking. It was crazy. But do you know what happened? Uh, this kid brought up a little bit of food. Jesus blessed it and gave it to me and to my, the disciples that were with Jesus. We began to hand it out to people. But somehow, the food in our hands kept multiplying. I, don't, I don't, still don't understand how it happened. It was crazy. I can't explain the feelings I was having in that moment of astonishment, of surprise, that as I was the one carrying the food out to people, it's like it just it, it kept multiplying. It was weird. One adventure after another. There was this other time we were on a lake, and a big storm came up. And in fact, the, the, wa- the water was coming up over the sides of our boat, and it, I mean, we were sinking. The front of the boat was already kind of in the water. And so we went over and saw, you know what Jesus was doing? He was sleeping. <laughs> the boat was rocking. There's a storm. He was getting soaked, but he was out. He was just sleeping right there in the front of the boat. Or I think it was the stern. And so we woke him up. We said, Jesus, don't you care? Our boat's going down. We're going to die. I can't, I mean, again, he stood up and he said, be still. And the water all of a sudden was completely calm. No more rain. It was crazy. I can't tell you how the, like, you ask me what my life was like before and after. Before, my life was like going through the motions. You know, I'd go to work. I, I had, the, you know, my family. I was trying to serve God. But it was, it was pretty ordinary. <laughs> when I started to follow Jesus, it was one adventure after another. It was one moment for me to be uh, showing the power of God to other people right after another moment. You know I walked on water, right? Did you hear that story? That was an adventure. And lastly, I want to share this. We were once up to the north of where we were living in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And while we were up there with Jesus, he stopped us and said, "Uh, who do people say that, that I am? Who are people, what are the rumors that you're hearing? And so I said, you are well, someone else said that you might be like Elisha or a prophet or a teacher. And Jesus said, okay, but who do you say that I am? And I, you know, I'm Peter. I can't do this sometimes. I just speak out. And I said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one of Israel. And he said in that moment something I'll never forget. He looked at us. And pointed to me, he said, Peter, you are rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. Just telling you now, that experience, I still have, I still have like the shivers that come over you when I can hear Jesus telling us that. Because in that moment, we, we were told by Jesus that because of our simple confession, our understanding of who Jesus is, 
that he was going to build a people together that was going to be doing all of this amazing God work that would ultimately be so strong that even the gates of hell would tremble at who we are. If you think if you think that being a Christian takes the adventure out of life, then you haven't read scripture. You haven't read the Bible. And until you've read the Bible and scripture, you really can't have an opinion <laughs> about what following Jesus is like. If you're not pausing long enough to reflect on what Jesus' way is and to obey it, then you are leaving adventure, you're leaving fun, you're leaving the right of your life on the table. And lastly, with regard to creating your own unique path, now isn't that kind of like the societal project right now? Uh, I, I, I am who I am, and when I am who I am boldly, in spite of what other people think about me, uh, that's truly living. There's a book that came out called Emerging Adulthood. And what we've done, basically, if you read this book, is as a society, we've created a new life stage. Congratulations, you did it. <laughs> you created a new life stage. Children become adolescents, and in adolescence, before you would go right into adulthood, somewhere around 18 to 21, you'd pass right into adulthood. Well, now, in the last 40 years, we've created a new life stage called emerging adulthood. And in this life stage, you leave your home, you go to college, and, or you go at least out of your home, and you spend the next 10 to 15 years experimenting with everything. With everything. And at the end of 15 years, you leave emerging adulthood and enter into adulthood, finally having established who you are. And so for these 10 to 15 years, our society encourages you to experiment, to test, to try on things like sex, things like drugs, things like religion, things like education, things like who you will marry, everything that would define you in your life, we are now encouraged for those 10 to 15 years to go and just put on all these different wardrobes of what life might be like. And it begins with college, because what better place than to take our young people, throw them into college, and, and have absolutely uh, no way to control them. Emerging adulthood. But without knowing your purpose, without having the guide, without having God's right way before us, you know what we end up doing? We inevitably, and I mean this inevitably, we damage ourselves. First, we damage ourselves. It's like if someone was born as an I, and that I then went to college to try and figure out who that I is, and goes around and says, well, maybe I should try being a hand, and goes and grabs a hammer and starts to pound something, the eye will hurt itself. It will finally realize, oh, I wasn't made to actually impact things. We see things um, affecting our young people, like sex, drugs, experiences, lifestyles. And like that eye, when there's no guide there, end up hurting themselves. I can tell you also, after being on, I was on a jury this past week, and it was 
It was definitely sad to hear the story of this man who was trafficking drugs, but was also really difficult was to watch when different family members or friends, I'm not sure who, would come in at different times from the trial to sit right behind the defendant to offer their support. And I, and I saw how this person's decision to not follow a right path, to not seek the Lord, reflect on God's way and obey it, how that was also affecting uh, those he loved and the people around him. Our failure also to reflect on God's word and to obey it and instead uh, shove everything to the side in the interest of emerging adulthood, <laughs> this also begins to be a failure to your community and to the community that God is trying to form. 1 Corinthians 12. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We are all baptized by one Holy Spirit. So suppose the foot says, I am not a hand, so I do not belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there is only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it's just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. And so if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. And so you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. The larger plan of your life is that you are a unique part of God's action. An action in which God has decided will be carried out in community, in, in church. For us, Canoga Park Press. And so if you can see what I'm showing you, it's that those deep desires within you, those passions that are in your heart that the Proverb 20 reminds us to dig deep into and actually listen to, but deeply, not surface level, but dig deeply as your heart whispers to you, or sometimes even screams out what it wants. We are to dig deep into them and behind them, for there we can see that they're ultimately based upon the God-given design. When you really get into your heart, you can see God's fingerprints. You see God's hand. It's like as Gladys is painting over here. As we look at the image that she is designing, she is the one that, that has brought everything to be. And as you look at one part of that painting, you realize that it was done by a brushstroke by the creator, by Gladys. And in your life, each part of who you are, those passions that we want to, we want to not ignore, but actually to see behind and see below, there you begin to see the ultimate creator, God himself, who has given you your life and your form for a purpose. My challenge to you is to own it. Own yourself. Own your life. Own your purpose. Own your design. Own what your heart is telling you. If you go with a surface-level listening to your heart's passions, 
You can blindly make your way through life. You can stub your toe here, stub your toe there, gouge your eye out here, gouge your eye out there. You can make your way through life uh, through one experience of the high to the next high, and then to the valley lows and the valley lows. You can bop your way through life, and many people do it. But there is another way to do this. Truly living by the by the passions that Jesus Christ has given you, seeing the design of God in who you are. The message of Jesus is a challenge to dig down deep into those passions, to see God's fingerprints and how you've been created and molded, how you've been formed from the dust of the earth, and how you have been designed on purpose and for purpose. You see, Madison, you have a long time ahead of you here where you're still deciding what you, what you have as your passions. As you continue to learn about your passions and who you are, never forget that those are God-given passions. And they're given to you so that you can be honoring God and glorifying God as you enjoy life. And as we, your community of faith, see you enjoying life, it gives us a sense that God is good. You were made on purpose for freedom. You were made on purpose for the adventure of a lifetime, for enjoying God's creation. You were made, you're made to have a unique, that only you can give, a unique addition to the body of Christ. A unique addition to his church. If you listen long enough and carefully enough to your heart, you will hear of passions that only God's way can fulfill. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. I reflect at night that you, God, are my creator, that you have given me a design on purpose and for purpose. And I reflect as I read scripture, as I listen to sermons, as I ask my fellow Christians about life and then I follow it, and then I obey it. If you were told by a doctor, let's say you go to the doctor next week, and they said, you need to lower your sodium, or I'm not sure you're going to be around next year. <laughs> lower your sodium or else. What do you think you would do? Well, if you were me, I'm not sure how you would do it. I might Google uh, sodium and food, and, and I would plan out a diet. I'd probably get Christy to help me, because she does a lot of the cooking. Um, so she would help me to plan the diet, I would reflect first on what I need to do, and then I would obey it. I would begin to eat differently. Reflect and obey. You each have been given by God a, a, a gift. It is your life. And the call today is to reflect long enough to see the passions that you have. To see them as God's gift to you, to be used, and to obey the uniqueness that you are, to serve him in the church, in blessing people around him. And if you do this, you'll find freedom. You'll find the adventure of your lifetime. And you'll find the unique way that God has made you to live your life. So may you go and be blessed, reflecting and obeying. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask that you would give each of us this vision that following your path, that 
being willing to confess that there is one right way is good, even if it is against the cultural narrative of today. Give us confidence as a church to be people that, that do say your way is the way. Your path is the path. And I will find myself on your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.